Uh, hello, everybody. We're going to begin with a fairy tale. The Frog and the Prince. I didn't know it was called that, but uh, I thought it was the princess and the frog. But the Frog and the Prince, uh, this, as you know, uh, the frog is a prince. She kisses him, and he becomes the prince. And then uh, Beauty and the Beast. I found the like uh, uh, drawings from older stories instead of Disney. Uh, so Disney is definitely a little more unreal, <laughs> as if these are real. But uh, anyway, you know, why do we love these stories? And as we do, and I, I think everybody does, and it's because of the complete transformation. Uh, they, the transformation of becoming a, a you know, the beast becomes his prince. I think in both cases, they're princes in disguise. And, um, but, and, and the same thing happens to us as Christians. We're made completely new. And it doesn't appear as yet what will be, as the Bible writes. But yet, you know, you're a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And you don't, you don't look like what you're going to look like just yet. But we know that we are, and in our position, the Word of God is very clear that we are. Now, what if in the story, the frog becomes a prince, but he's still hopping around and he's living in a marsh? In other words, he's still behaving like a frog. Or the beast becomes a prince and he's still, you know, eating garbage and rolling around in the dirt. Uh, the you know the story is not so great, and the princesses in both cases, kind of like uh, I think I think I'm moving on and looking for some other frog. You know the lily pond is full. There's always a frog in the ocean, as they say, or something like that. Uh, in the same way, what what if we uh, are made to be brand new as Christ, and we don't act like it? In, in both of these stories, the, the transformation is not just uh, physical. It's complete. The, the person behaves noble in the, at, the, at the end. And, and, uh, and so as in the same way, we have the Holy Spirit within us. is given to us as a gift. The Holy Spirit is within us to enable us and empower us to be like Christ. And that's the whole reason he's there. And so that's our title for today is the reason that the Holy Spirit indwells you. That very reason is to, excuse me, to make you like Christ. And we have to know this. We have to know what we're supposed to be. So let's open up in prayer. We're going to start in uh, John, yeah, John chapter 16, the Gospel of John. And let's open up in prayer. Let's thank God for his gifts and, and the time that he's given us to comprehend his word and to really see in our lives this transformation from what we were to what we are in Christ in this incredible gift of salvation that through his word we can come to understand what he has made us to be and if we're humble and reverent we'll learn it and then want to do it and if we want to do it the promise is we will let's pray we thank you father for your word, we thank you so much for the understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit within. We know, Father, that you're in us. The Spirit is in us, a member of the Trinity, God himself, so that we can comprehend and understand. And therefore, there's no barrier to our understanding of your word. There's no barrier other than our desire. If we desire to know you, Father, we will know you. If we seek you, we will find you. As you have, you teach us, Father, to want it more than anything. And so we have to keep seeking, keep knocking. And you lead us along graciously, patiently. We thank you for our Lord and Savior. We thank you for this doctrine that we're learning about your spirit. And we ask, Father, that through him we would fully understand. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. So our theme today is the Holy Spirit is in you to make you like Christ. Uh, this obviously isn't forced or automatic. What we're talking about here is not the position that you have in Christ, but behavior, conduct, thinking, speech. And if, um, 
you know, because the Holy Spirit's job is within you to do this, as we know, we're not going to be forced to, hence uh, the many, many commandments, uh, the ones in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, to rejoice always, pray without ceasing. They're all active commands. Be thankful for all things. If, um, if, that, if that's automatic, commandments to do them are superfluous. And so we are certainly, our choices matter here. But it's not, a, it's not something like works. It's just that if God is teaching us to choose, which is like what he does. When Christ became a man, he chose something. He chose the will of God. And, you know, why did he? It's not like Christ looked at all the things around him, though he was tempted by everything. He didn't say, you know, uh, a life of sin is as good or close to as good as a life with my father. Um, To Christ, there was no contest. That a life of sin, which he taught on over and over, and which the New Testament teaches on, that a life of sin is far inferior to the life that God has given us. And so God is leading us to see that life, and therefore calling us to trust him. Through trust and obedience. And obedience is is a, a result of faith and humility. Trust and obedience is going to enable God, the Holy Spirit, to really make it happen. So God is the one that makes it happen, but we have to choose to walk the path, is the point I'm making. The reward for this, the true reward. Now, there's many rewards. Uh, Better life. You know, there is the reward of uh, a better brain and body. It's true. The way that you think will affect the way that you live. And if you think like him, your, your whole mannerism is going to be better. Your relationships will be better. Your work will be better. Um, everything will be. Your enjoyment of life will be better. But these are actually inferior to what the true reward is, which is to glorify God by being like Christ. Being like him is the true reward, and that's why the Holy Spirit is in us. If we're to categorize, however, Christians, and I don't mean by denomination, but by commitment as such, we know that there'd be a lot. There'd be a whole gamut of categories from those who are committed to those who are not committed and everything in between. For those of us who are committed or for all Christians who are committed, they want to be like Christ, but there's two hindrances. Even if you truly desire it, there are hindrances that get in the way And they are faith and knowledge. Uh, The knowledge of who Christ is, which is what we start with today, and then faith in that. And when you have faith in that, Christ absorbs you. There's no way that he can't. If you know him and you put your faith in the reality of that person, he absorbs you. Uh, And so, therefore, faith branches off into two ways. Faith has like a subjective and an objective application in that I believe what the word says, but the object of my faith is therefore the word. But subjectively, I choose to trust in that word and make it alive in my life. And so, in other words, I believe what the word of God says and I act upon it. Both are, uh, both are results of faith. And as I put my faith in God's word and as I apply that word to my life, because I, by faith I know it's the only way to live, then my knowledge increases. So as I learn, I put faith, I learn more, I get more faith, and these two progress together, knowledge and faith, and knowledge becomes wisdom and all those other great words that we're supposed to be. Uh, so knowledge increases commensurate with our application of faith. So we have to know who Christ is, and that's the Holy Spirit is in us to do that. The Holy Spirit is in us to make that happen. And so look at John 16:14. He will glorify me. He will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He will glorify me, and he will take of mine and disclose it to you. The he there is God the Holy Spirit. So it's a spirit's role. You know, this is his main ministry. We say that he's to empower us, he's to teach us, he's to guide us. Those are three uh, three ways to summarize his ministry to a believer. 
uh, and all of those are in the process of me learning who Christ is. So there has to be a reality to the person of Christ in you, and added to that is the reality of him as he indwells you. So Christ is in you. That reality makes you makes him your everything. Made me think of the Barry White song, my first, my last, my everything. I am not going to try and sing it because who could be Barry White? Nobody. Certainly not this uh, this person. So, uh, but first, my last, absolutely, right? Alpha and Omega, he is everything. And if I know him as my real Lord and Savior, and I, when I mean reality, that he's not just a myth, but a true person who is my Lord that sits at the right hand of God. There's a lot of people in our world who believe in myths, and those myths get them nowhere. Uh, the myth of, literally, there's all kinds of things that people believe in that are either of a pagan origin or, you know, I, I've met plenty of people say, I believe in science, you know, science is, is my God. And, you know, and, and, and I say, well, you know, that means you have faith because when you say science, the human race, we know about a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of all science throughout the universe. That's how much we know of it. We know hardly anything. We know a lot more than we used to, and so we think we're real smart. But we don't really know how things work. And just check the weather, you know. We don't know how things work. So um, a myth, a lot of people believe them, but you can't, no one consistently follows a myth. Not to mention wherever the myth is taking you is not a real place. But when Christ is real, you're following a real person, then this becomes absorbing. And that faith and desire to follow Christ, meaning to find him, as the passage says here, he takes of mine and discloses it to you. This really allows the Spirit to work in us. Say, In a way, you're saying to the Spirit within you, I want to know what you've got for me. Rather than saying, I want to know something that you don't have for me. So the reality of Christ goes along with real trust, which along with knowledge of how to live as a new creature, it stokes the fire. Remember, quench the spirit is, don't quench the spirit is our passage, main passage. And quench means to put out a fire. It always means that in Greek, uh, the original word. And so we stoke the fire of the Holy Spirit within by you know, desiring the reality of Christ. So today we're going to see our role in allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us and to make us like Christ. And we'll look at the context of three passages that speak uh, about either grieving, quenching, or being filled with the Spirit. And uh, we're just going to look at their context. We're not going to study them in great detail, but we're going to see how they're similar and uh, we'll, once you see that, you'll see that they're, uh, they have a lot in common, which is going to help us. Uh, quenching the Spirit is therefore defined by me as living or, or living in a manner that fails to allow the Spirit to do what he pleases. He, his inability to do what he pleases, the opposite of being pleased would be being grieved. And this is the word that's used for him in Ephesians uh, when we... Uh, live lives that are basically evil, uh, and we'll see that coming up. The new creation is us, and being like Christ in the world, we're to do this. We're to open prison doors. You know, you're a light to the world, the Lord said, and the light of the world, we'll see a few passages on that first, is... You know, someone who is extraordinary, not like the world, but different from the world. And the way that we're different from the world is that we're like Christ. So we love, we're patient. You know, being like him means that you act like him. It it can't just be an academic exercise. Like, I know who he is here, but I have no action. I, I have nothing in my life that says anything about Christ. In other words, I'm cranky and bitter. I'm like the rest of the world. I have no patience whatsoever, no love, no sacrifice, none of that. That's legalism. That's how I say it, legalism. I know Christ and his word. 
and yet you don't know them at all. I can tell you plainly that anybody who lives like that doesn't know him. And look, we're, we're all growing up, look, and, and none of us start out acting just like him. But if, if a person, if a Christian, if that Christian's desire is not to be like Christ, the, the problem, the disconnect, is that you don't know him. And that's the process of learning. And, um, you know, and eventually it's got to have a great impact on us. And it shouldn't take all that long because we have wonderful proof in, I mean, if we have faith in it, we have wonderful proof in First Thessalonians where they're brand new believers. And Paul reveals to them that they have love and hope and joy in all of it. They're, they're exceptional at the Christian life just in a few months. So, as lights to the world, we open prison doors. As lights to the world, we stand out. I really enjoyed this graphic when I found it, right? Out of a bunch of dark boxes, you're the one that, that shines. And, and that's how it should be. But how I shine and how I'm different from the world is in my love, in my joy, in my thankfulness. People say, you know, you're always thankful even when things go wrong in your life. You know, you're not like everybody else because when bad stuff happens to them, they grumble and complain. But, of course, you can say to them, well, you should have saw me yesterday. I was all grumbling and complaining. But, you know, I confessed and I repented. <laughs> you know, and I'm back on my spiritual horse today that, you know, I'm not perfect. But that's not what this is about. You don't see Paul writing about individual sin here or individual sin there. He describes sin for sure. But what he's speaking about in this passage is our process of life, our manner of life, what we are as people typically. And if you're a thankful, happy, prayerful, humble person, and there's many more words that we could describe you as, it's going to stand out. Are you happy all the time? It'd be something wrong with you if you were, right? <laughs> that wouldn't be that. That would be like probably insane, you know. Uh, none of us are happy completely all the time because we're sinners. But on a, on a general basis, because we're growing in grace and knowledge and we love our Lord, we're lights to the world. And that's the way it was always meant to be for the human race. Look at Ephesians 5. A couple quick passages on light of the world. Ephesians 5, 7. If we quench the Spirit, we're not going to be this. Uh, and quench the Spirit is, again, not doing the things that the Spirit would want us to do. To think the way He wants us to think. Ephesians 5, 7. Therefore... Do not be partakers with them, meaning unbelievers. Don't partake of their lifestyle. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. That's a command. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn, which is really proving. It's the word dokimazo. It means to prove or to test what is pleasing to the Lord. Just real quick here. Notice how he says all goodness, all and, and, sorry, the fruit of the light in verse 9 consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That uh, uh, adjective, all, refers to all three, goodness, righteousness, and truth. And when we say all, right, it's the same thing as saying in everything, because as what Paul would mean here is that the application of righteousness to all people and to all situations, the application of goodness and truth and righteousness to all people and to all situations. So it, it doesn't mean like all categories, although in a way it does kind of mean that, like if there are different categories of truth and there are. So I'm to know all those categories, but what it means is I'm, I live in the truth I act in righteousness. I do goodness in all situations. And that is what a child of light does. Uh, in our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 21, which says, don't quench the spirit. And then he says, don't despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything. 
And examine is just what he says here in verse 10, trying to learn or really proving what is pleasing to the Lord. And when we're proving something, <clears throat> we're testing it. Right? We're testing it. And this is God saying to us, look, you're a child of light, so you need to be in all things what light does. You need to be good, truthful, and not just honest, but operating in the truth and righteous in everything. And then he says, test it. So test could mean, you know, what does it mean? I'm testing God? We know we're not supposed to tempt God. But what Paul is saying here is, look, apply this truth and see if it works. Test it. Prove it. And so God put, by putting God's promises to the test, how do we do that? Well, we believe them and we live in them. And we see what the result is. You know, if you're following a false religion, you put your faith in it and you follow it, what happens? Well, misery, generally. Either nothing. That would be the least. That would, <laughs> that would be the less destructive means. But usually when we're following falsehood, it ends up in some kind of destruction. A hurtful way. But if we're following the truth, then there's going to be a manifestation of the truth. Like the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. So if I love others, I say, you know what? In my world, we don't really sacrifice for others. That's kind of weakness. We don't really lay down our lives for others. That's a sign of weakness. But I see this command of God that I should, and so I'm going to. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really into academics. I don't want to study God's Word. I don't want to learn God's Word. Uh, I never did good in school. But, all right, God says to study to show yourself approved. I'm going to do it. And then what will you see? What will be the result of knowing God's Word? What will be the result in your life of actually loving others? What will be the result? And that will be the proof. But, you know, there's... A lot of people will say, ah, following God, that's, that's for losers. Have you done it? Ah, the Bible's full of lies. Have you read it? Pastor Bob used to always say, uh, you say, yeah, how about that book of Hezekiah? And people say, yeah, stupid book, terrible book. You know, there is no book of Hezekiah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and I just learned this weekend that Pastor Bob is in hospice care. So he's got cancer in his liver that uh, I don't think he's going to come out of it. So you keep him and his family in prayer. Uh, go to Philippians chapter 2. These next lines in Philippians 2, again about being a light to the world, are very much like the Sermon on the Mount. Philippians 2.14 do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves. That's actually not the same word as we just read, dokimazo. This word means that you would actually be or become so that you will be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That's our world. Among whom you appear as lights in the world holding fast the word of life. The word of life is Jesus Christ and the knowledge of his mind that comes from his word. So notice, there's an application to this. Light to the world, he says, do everything without grumbling. Isn't that really another way of saying be thankful in everything or rejoice always? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Notice the all things. Paul here is talking about life. He's talking about the general walk of life. And not that we have times individually, which we all do, have individual times when we do grumble, where we do dispute. But hopefully we acknowledge that sin and recover from it quickly through grace. So you prove yourself or you become blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in a world that's crooked and perverse. That's a beautiful way of describing it and among whom you appear as lights to the world, holding fast the word of life. So what is, you know, this, uh, 
in us, going back to my, my light of the world here, this is us acting like the prince or the princess that we are in Christ. Right? That's what makes us stand out. And that's what we're called to be. So why, so why are we talking about this? Because the Holy Spirit's in us to make that happen. Now, is he going to force us? No. But when we, by faith, and look, God, God even is the one who leads us by faith and says, come on, he has, a, he has a way of doing this. You know, even if it takes pain or discipline or this or that, for each of us it takes all kinds of different, a whole combination of different things to get our eyes to open to what it is that we are. I should say who it is that we are and what it is we're supposed to do. And to really love what we're supposed to do. If you don't love it, you're not going to do it. You'll do it for a little bit, but as soon as there's a lot of obstacles and it's hard, you're not going to. You've got to love it. And to love it, I would say, you've got to know that it's real. Hence, it's based on faith. If I don't know the Lord is real at the right hand of God, as real, at His life that's described for me in the Gospels as real, and that I'm really in Him, and that my destiny is really with Him in heaven, and that this whole life here is truly crooked and perverse. And I don't want to be a part of that. I have spent plenty of time doing that, and probably we all have. And, and that I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live two lives. But what I want is Him. And this, this commitment that comes by faith, which is a determination... Because you come to love the Lord and who He really is, that's when the Holy Spirit can really get to work. So, um, much motivation for the divine life comes from truly knowing who you are in Christ. I say much. I, I think it's the highest of all motivations. There's rewards in heaven. There's the judgment seat of Christ that's often motivating to me. Now, I've already got enough bad deeds that I'm going to be judged for. Uh, you know, I kind of don't want to keep adding to that. I am. We are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged according to our works, whether they're good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10. So, uh, that's motivating, glorifying the Lord and such. But the highest motivation, I think, is to know who you are in Christ and want to glorify Him. It's just Him. The magnificence of this God-man that I'm in union with is him. Now, uh, so, Ezekiel, we're going to skip that. Let's go to our 1 Thessalonians 5.16. So, we were always designed, we read the, the prophecy of the new covenant on Sunday. And I'll just read it for you as you're turning. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. God did this through the blood of Christ. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you, new creatures in Christ. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning uh, teachable and humble. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I will put my spirit in you. The new humanity was always designed to have the spirit within him, him and her. Always. We are it. This is, this is the design. All right, we've got one more big step to go. We're not the design yet because we need the resurrection bodies in eternity. But inwardly, we're it. We've got this body to contend with, this world to contend with, but God in his genius has worked out this plan by which we're now new creatures in a crooked and perverse world, in a crooked and perverse body, and there's all kinds of issues and trials and problems and distractions and temptations, and I've got to really reach for this life and push everything else aside. And to do that, I've got to really want it. And so God is training us to want it. Right? Who among us when we got saved didn't want it, but kind of, eh, kind of. <laughs> I didn't know how much work went into it. I didn't know how much commitment there was. 
I mean, we all get excited at the beginning and say, wow, I'm this in Christ and I'm that in Christ and I have eternal life because the church I grew up in said I didn't have squat unless I was super good, and I certainly wasn't. And they were all condemning me. I met a guy... (laughs) I met a guy the other day who had this he had a, uh, an issue in his personal life, and he said, "I, you know, I couldn't talk to anybody about it at church." And I said, "Why was that?" He said, "Well, we were Baptists. <laughs> you know, he, he couldn't go to anybody and ask for help because none of us were supposed to be doing that stuff. That stuff, which was sin, because here we're not. None of us are sinners. You know, I don't know why I'm using that voice, but." again. <laughs> We're not sinners over here. Well, yeah, sure you are, and we know you are, and yet, you know, when you tell people that, that, you know, the Christians are always perfect, and every one of us are mature, then how do you help? How do you give hope to those who are struggling? And all of us do, right? Where do we get the hope to keep going, to overcome? And we must. And, you know, that comes from knowing who you are by faith in Christ, not by works. By faith, I know who I am. And being that, then God convinces you to really strive for it. Because, as I said, if we want it, but just kind of, and, you know, I didn't, I don't know how much commitment it is. I think probably what? I go to church every Sunday and, you know, that's good. And God's like, man, you don't even know the half of it. But yeah, you go to church every Sunday. Now try and follow me and you find out you come up short, you fall down, you fall into temptation, the sin is terrible, and on and on. And God says, now follow me. And be like, God, have you seen what I am and what my record is here? What do you mean follow me? You're forgiven of all things. Come on, follow me. And then you fall again and you fall again and you fall again and God says, come on, follow me. Like, God, are you watching this? What do you mean follow you? You're seeing what I'm doing. Follow me. And by doing this, he's forcing us with the trials and temptations and the, you know, we're falling in it. He's showing us that it has to be a singularity of commitment, a singularity of thought. That there's only one. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody else has fallen, are they not? Created and fallen. He is uncreated and righteous. Perfect. There's only one. There's only one life. And God is convincing us to choose for it. All right. In our main passage, we have in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. Really, it says, don't disregard. Despise is kind of strong. Do not disregard prophecies, which would be the prophecies of the early church, which for us would be, don't disregard the teachings of the Word of God. That's how it would apply to us. But examine everything. The word carefully isn't there in the original. It's okay to put it there. But examine everything. Now, that examine, that is dokimazo. That means if someone says to you, or sells to you, I guess, blah, blah, blah is true, well, you test that out uh, against all the rest of the Scripture, right? what you know. And if you don't know, come either ask me or, or go research it, but, uh, and we'll find out together that you know, we are to examine all things and make sure that they are God's truth, which we can do. Now, go to Ephesians 4.30. So, don't quench the Spirit. And now in Ephesians 4.30, we're going to have don't grieve the Spirit. Quench is to put out a fire. Grieve, this word, means grieve. Uh, The Greek word is lupeo. And uh, the reason why I remember that word, it was on my vocab test not too long ago. And I used to know this guy that I worked with, 
whose name was, his, nick, his last name was Lupino or something like that, and his nickname was Loopy. And I'm sure he's not listening to me, so I can talk about him. And th- this was 20, over 20 years ago. And working with this guy was grievous. I mean, this guy, uh, I, to this day, I can't stand him. This had a personality that rubbed me the wrong way. And uh, so I don't know why I'm telling you this, but Lupi, Lupeo, grieve. This word means grieve. Look at Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, how do this all of Christianity that says, Paul, what do you mean by grieve? How do I grieve him? And we say, well, this is, uh, you know, he's not really grieved like he's sad because he's God. So this is what we call an anthropopathism. And it's not really it's not really true. But if it's not really true, why is Paul using this word? Why doesn't he say don't sin against the Holy Spirit? Or why doesn't he say don't anger the Holy Spirit? Or don't, you know, what he could use a, a bunch of other words, but here he uses grieve. And I, in my est, I, I can't tell you either, particularly why Paul uses it. We would only have to ask him. But this, it would see, you know, this pleasing God as opposed to what? Grieving God. And grieving would mean that you're doing things that are grievous to God. We certainly know that we can please God. We're commanded to. And the Holy Spirit is God. So if we're not pleasing him, we're grieving him. Now, is he inside of us crying his eyes out, you know, and his, crying in his pillow or whatever? Obviously not. He's not human. But when God picks a word like this to describe it, this is how he wants us to see it. He is grieved. Now, in reading the context, and I don't know why I didn't put this on the board, but you can just hear the context around all of this, because Paul doesn't give like a, here's how to grieve the spirit. He, it is sensuality. Impure. Sensuality is sexual sin. Impurity, which is immorality, probably linked to sexuality also. Greed. Lying, anger, stealing, laziness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And malice means just lawlessness. It means it's just to be wicked. <laughs> One of the definitions that's in the lexicons for malice is naughty. <laughs> right? This is like a funny word. Like a Christian, like you're naughty. Right? You're just being naughty. And absolutely, that's what malice is. So listen to him again. Sensuality, sexual sin. How much sexual sin is going on in our world right now? Yeah, it's swept under the rug or, you know, it's hush-hush. But, again, pornography is the most watched thing on the Internet by far. That means Christians are watching it. And I've become addicted to it. Uh, and also, not just pornography, but the reality of fornication and adultery and all that stuff, homosexuality, sensuality, impurity, greed, lying, anger, stealing, laziness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Put them all together, and you got grieving in the spirit. You know, if you're like me, who, who uh, I'm much better at it than I used to be, but you know, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I kind of like sensuality. What about if I'm just sensual and I'm not greedy? Do I grieve the spirit? Uh, yeah. I don't know why I have to tell you that. You should know that inherently. But as a teacher, I'll tell you that. What if I don't really steal and I don't have a problem with anger, but I really like slander? Yeah, you're grieving them. Just the action. So can any of us do any of these as believers? We can do them all. What, what do you see here is not isolated sin. It's not that isolated sin is condoned in the Bible. No, we're to be perfect. Right? That's our goal. It should always be our goal. But what Paul is talking about here is that, you know, are you, any of us can fall into this every once in a while. Uh, but, you know, is this what your go-to? Is this you? Is this your lifestyle? Even if it's not your lifestyle, is it what you want to do? Because as Christ said, if you did it in your heart, you did it. Is it what you want to do? 
And so what it, and, and is God is saying, oh, you're naughty. Or is God trying to set us free from these things? What life comes from them? Zero. No life comes from this. Nothing. So people who get involved in them become addicts to them and ruin their lives. The whole world is ruined because of sin, not because of government policy. But government policy that's, that does ruin is based upon sin, especially that one word in there, greed. And so, yeah, this, these things are as destructive as destructive can be. So therefore, grieving is definitely sin. Now, Paul has in mind here, as I said, uh, a life of, you know, a rule of life. Notice the other passages around this. I've got them on the board. But if we're grieving the Spirit, we're living like an unbeliever. Look at uh, Ephesians 4.17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the futility, which means an empty vacuum of their mind, the futility of their mind. Don't walk as what Gentile here means unbeliever, uh, means uh, the nations. So walking as a unbeliever, then in verse 22, 4.22, lay aside the old self. So that is holding on to the old self. We're to, you know, we're told to lay it aside, to grieve the Holy Spirit. We're holding on to it. So we want the old life. 4:24, put on the new self. 4:25, lay aside falsehood. And 4:31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. So in these we have we're living like an unbeliever, holding on to the old self, we're laying aside the new self. In other words, we don't really... And the new self is Christ-like. That's what it is. What he or she is. Holding on to lies, holding on to hate. I put uh, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice all under the word hate. You could put lawlessness. You know, It's many things. But that's grieving the Spirit. So, Paul gives us a nice, simple command. Don't. I'm not pointing at anybody. <laughs> like I'm pointing in the middle. Don't. Uh, so, uh, Colossians 3.10, we've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So, we start to see... Now, in in just our ending here in a few minutes, we're going to put together just these verses and see what overlaps. And one of the things that pops out again and again is this image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in us to conform us to the image of Christ. There's a lot that goes with that. There's knowledge and power and graciousness and the fruit of the Spirit and so on. But, you know, to put a, a one you know, phrase, title to it. It's conformed to the image of Christ. We put on the new self and it's being renewed. And this is something that we'll see in our final passage in 1 Thessalonians is that if if you have a strong spiritual life today, it's no guarantee that it's strong tomorrow. This life that we live must constantly be replenished and constantly be renewed by God's Word, by prayer, by striving, by reminding ourselves, and so on. And so we'll see that. This is being renewed. So again, we see the reward here, and the reward is to be like Him. There's no greater reward in life. To attain it in this life and sustain it is the constant vigilance. Uh, Just because you have a close walk with God today doesn't guarantee it tomorrow. We have to constantly refresh and renew ourselves in God's Word with prayer, constantly reminding ourselves, stepping out in faith to do what we're called to do. And as we'll see when we close this book, we're to be sanctified in everything, every part of us, 
And those, there's some parts to us that we've been holding back from God, and God is not going to rest until we hand them over. So go to Ephesians 5.15. The flesh in the world, the flesh of others are going at times, your own flesh, the flesh of the people in the world, situations of the world, are going to wear on us and make us very weak at times. I add this because, you know, this again is one of those messages of which I seem to have a lot of these where, you know, we're all being challenged to be like Christ and to truly see, you know, this is what the spiritual life is. We see a lot of that. Obviously, we see it a lot because it's in the scripture a lot. But, um, you know, there are times when you're going to be absolutely weak. And that the, the flame of the Holy Spirit within is seems like a flicker. Uh, <clears throat> some, many times strength is going to easily flow through you. And you're going to live in faith and enjoy the heck out of it. And then at times it's going, you're going to be beat down. Like Paul's thorn in the flesh. Our Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane is weak as weak could be. And we're going to be weak. And these are times where God is drawing us close to himself. They're actually quite precious times. We're still strong. In other words, we're not giving in. We're not giving in to the malice and all of that stuff that we saw. But we're just down, like beat down. And these are times of great intimacy with the Lord. They are certainly not fun. But they are not to be shunned. We're not to pretend that they're not real. You can't make yourself strong. That's the the lesson we learn from that. Only God can make us strong. All we can do is make the best decisions that we can, the right decisions based on what we know, and by faith follow our Lord and wait for His strength. We cannot make it or manufacture it. And at times God is going to put us in situations where we have barely any strength at all. And he's drawing us to himself. They are really precious times. Don't shun them. Don't rob yourself of a special time with the Lord. Because when he brings you out of it, and he will, you will rejoice with him and you'll be stronger than you've ever been. Ephesians 5.15, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation, or for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with melody, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So there's, there's much here, but again, we're just summarizing here today and comparing. So we saw with the grieving of the Spirit that grieving is an evil and wicked and sinful lifestyle. And here we have a contrast between wisdom and not being wise. So the first thing is be careful. Right? And if this were a guarantee for all believers, we wouldn't have to be. But we really have to be because there's so much opposition and so much temptation. So Paul says, be careful how you live, which is what walk means. Be wise. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Wise comes from the Word of God through the Holy Spirit who makes it alive and understandable. And then he says, don't get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. Now, we've looked at this verse not too long ago, and dissipation means to waste. It means to just waste. It's the same word that is used for the prodigal son. He took the father's blessings, and he took them to a faraway land and used them up. He wasted them. In the same way, we do this. And it's not just drunkenness, obviously. It's all the other stuff. The immorality, the sensuality, uh, the wickedness, the malice, everything that we saw in chapter 4. And that is taking what the Father has given me and wasting it. So he says, be filled with the Spirit. 
So here we have again, we're like, Paul, how do I get filled with the Spirit? And he doesn't tell me. How do I grieve the Spirit? He doesn't tell me. There's no procedure to it. But we see here that, you know, if I don't waste things, then I can be, then the Spirit will fill me as I choose the life that he's given me. So what is dissipation? It's wasting. What would we waste? Well, we waste what God has given us. But that's a perfect place to stop and say, well, what has God given me? That's a great question to ask yourself. Do you know? Do I know? And what God has given us is a new life, eternal life, forgiveness of all sin, righteousness, holiness, an eternal relationship with Him, and our subject, the Holy Spirit within me. He's given me that. And there's so much more that He's given me. And these are all used to live with. And if I waste them, well, I waste them. And I always, you get what you want in the Christian life. Remember when Christ said, if you give so others will see you give, you have your reward in full. If you pray so that others will hear you pray, that's your purpose. You have your reward in full. Jesus was telling us that, look, you're going to get what you want. And if you want me, you'll get me. If you want something else, you'll get that. And so we're warned here by Paul. But the positive thing, and I'm I'm trying that much more in in my messages, is to look at the positive, not the do-nots, but so much the do's, in that, we see after we're filled with the Spirit, all right, he doesn't give us a how, but he tells us the result. And it's speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's unity and love with one another, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's joy. Always giving thanks. That's thankful for all things. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and subject to one another in the fear of Christ is the service of one another. All right, one more passage, Colossians 3. We're going to put a pin in the passage we just read, which I know is not easy to do. And uh, and all we're doing is just kind of overlaying these and comparing them. Um, so what we saw in Ephesians 5 is that we can dissipate or waste or we can be filled with the Spirit, and filled with the Spirit as the result of joy and thankfulness and unity and love. And what are these things? They're all the things of Christ. That's what he brought to the world in the new life. And now we see here that filled with the Spirit is parallel, because the same exact results come from it, parallel to the Word of Christ richly dwelling in you. So Paul's not going to mention the Spirit at all in this passage, but he's going to mention word for word exactly the result of the filling of the Spirit, but from another source. Colossians 3.12, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, that's us, we know who we are, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now, think of that in comparison to... In comparison to... Sorry. uh, Impurity, greed, lying, anger, stealing, laziness, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Right? That in comparison to... Compassion... Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiving each other of everything. They're polar opposites. One grieves the Spirit. Again, So we continue. And then he says in verse 14, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And that is similar to singing to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, or unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, Lord, of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through the Father, through him, sorry, to God the Father. Sorry, I was rushing it there. So the same result, which is psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, thankfulness to God, this joy in our hearts. And in this passage, it's not the filling of the Spirit, but it's the word of Christ richly indwelling us. So there's a connection to the two. Because if the word isn't richly in me, then you know I'm not going to be committed to this life. And therefore the commitment, and it's by faith. Commitment is a faith thing. It's not a works thing. It's just that you know, this, the Lord is who I must follow, is the only one, and I must follow him. And so when we compare all of these passages, we have grieving the spirit, quenching the spirit, filling of the Spirit, and then finally, we could say, filled with the Word of Christ. And the results of all four of those are the same. The overlap, there's some differences, yeah, but the overlap of thankfulness, joy, humility, all the good stuff, and the grieving and quenching, all the bad stuff. And so, we could say, without getting too technical, as I think people do, I think Christians shoot themselves in the foot here theologically when they try and get too technical and they say, well, what's the difference between grieving and quenching? Well, we just read all about it. There's no other places where Paul uses these words like this anywhere. And you've read them in their context. Do you see a vast difference? It's definitely a difference in imagery. You know, a fire going out, quenching, a grieving, which is a, a weeping, that's a different image. A filling of me, that's a different image. But it's still an image. Right? Do you think that when you're not filled with the Spirit that you're empty? Does He leave you? Well, we're told that the Spirit is in us forever. So, you know, filling is an image, just like quenching and grieving are images that we're to keep in our hearts and say, well, to ourselves... That joy, thanksgiving, unity, love, say virtue, and joy are all part of who Christ is. And it's the life that he gave us. And if we grieve the Spirit, we have no hope of living it. To grieve the Spirit would be to, choose, to not choose it. And, and we've seen, that's why I wanted to just read these and, and, and hear them in our own hearts, that each passage that we've read today speaks of our decisions on a, you know, on a, I want to say global scale, but a, a lifetime scale. You know, it's our decisions in general. What do we want? Remember when we, we looked at Bartimaeus, when uh, the blind guy that Christ was going to heal, and he's obviously blind, and Jesus asks him, what do you want? Like when he first yelled out, he was like, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, well, you know, he didn't say this, but he, what he did say is, what do you want? What do you ask, ask me? And what he wanted was specifics. And what we have to be after here is specifics. Not just a general, you know, I want to be happier. We need to be specific. I want to be like Christ. And he has specifics that we've read here today. Things like humility and love and thankfulness and joy. And, and all together, the manifestation of God the Holy Spirit. So I... I think it is abundantly obvious that we have to choose the life on a consistent basis and that it's not a matter of one decision, good or bad, that's going to grieve the spirit. We would say, yeah, sure, he's grieved when we commit one sin. But what we're after here is, because we're all sinners, uh, what do we do consistently? And what we choose, again, by faith, what we choose, what we value, what we honor is going to set the Spirit free to do what He wants to do within us. So, finally, don't quench the Spirit. We would say, why? 
And the answer would be, I want the fire within that is the only way in which I will follow the one that I love. I can't do it without him. So I don't want to quench him. How do I quench him? I'm making the wrong decisions. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you so much for the calling upon each of us and the that calling which is to lead us into the image of Christ. As we'll read soon in, in, in the letter to Thessalonians, you have called us, and he who calls is faithful. And you promise that you will make it happen. So... It's a matter of learning, Father, having knowledge of this wonderful life and faithfully choosing it. Thank you for your grace and for your patience. We ask in Christ's name, amen.